Hollywood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, it has been a great weekend here at Wildwood, and we've had the chance to worship not just uh, this morning in our first service and now uh, here in our second service together, but, but really our, our worship this weekend began um, on Friday night with our Good Friday service. And uh, one of the things that we, we gathered on Good Friday, we celebrate and, and reflect upon Jesus' death on the cross where God's wrath towards our sin was um, covered and paid for in Christ's death. And we had a, a portion of our service on Friday night that involved this cross up here on my right, your left, um, this beautiful piece of art that uh, Wildwood's own Chris Newland made for us. We, we actually brought this cross over as a part of our worship, and people brought forward pieces of paper that were representative of our sin, and they were nailed to the cross um, as a reflection upon what has happened for us in Christ, that the wrath that our sins deserve, the death that our sin requires could be paid for in Christ alone. That gives us a great reason to worship and to celebrate. And so when you see this cross up here, um, not only is the art beautiful, but even uh, the sin that is now nailed to it is beautiful because it reminds us of our beautiful Savior. And so would invite you to take a look at that today before you take off. It's just a great reminder of God's love and grace towards us. Um, well, we are, are here today, and we have the great privilege of worshiping God on Easter Sunday. Um, but before we do that, I want to pray for us. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we just uh, thank you so much for this time. Father, it is uh, truly amazing the grace that you have extended to us, um, me um, included in that and, and at the top of that list. Father, you have been so gracious to us to forgive us of our sin, to uh, redeem us and restore us into relationship with you, um, to make even something like today possible where we could come into your presence and we could worship you based on not just a hope or on our uh, strength of, of our will, but, Father, on, on what you have done for us in Christ. And I just thank you for that. Father, I pray that, that you would just guide us now as we look into your word, as we reflect upon this resurrection day. Father, that your word would come alive to us and that you would use me to uh, be your instrument here today uh, to magnify your word. And Father, I pray that you would just protect me from saying anything that you wouldn't want said. But Father, if I do say something that you wouldn't want said, I pray that it would just quickly be forgotten. But any words that I share this morning that are your words and, and your truth for us, I pray that we would remember them and we would believe them and we'd walk forward in them in the power of your spirit that we might be changed more into the image of your son. We thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I love holidays. Do you love holidays? I'm, I love holidays. I love the chance to, to gather with friends and family and to celebrate, you know, there's there's in the, in the church season, there's Christmas and there's Easter, but our calendars really every month or so, there's, there's a holiday. There's a, a reason to celebrate something. Uh, but one of the things that I've found in life, and maybe you can relate to this, is that some holidays um, just never quite deliver on the promise that they show on the calendar. 
Uh, there are some holidays that I always feel like I ought to be doing something really cool, but I seldom am. Is that, is that true for you on some things? I'll give you an example for me. One of those things for me is, is New Year's Eve. Uh, New Year's Eve is a holiday that I really feel like I ought to be doing something really cool and exciting. You know, I ought to be, you know, putting on, you know, the best going out. I'm going to, you know, have, have a great time on the town. But in reality, I'm like asleep at nine o'clock every New Year's Eve. And uh, in, that, in that way, New Year's Eve really is a holiday that kind of under delivers um, for me. Uh, maybe the, the 4th of July is that way for you. The 4th of July sometimes is that for us. You know, we've we used to love going and watching fireworks and celebrating the, the, the birth of our nation, but, you know, having a small child in the house who's scared of explosions. Um, 4th of July had, has evolved for us into staying at home and watching on the 32-inch Jumbotron uh, somebody else's celebration of the 4th of July, and it, it just somewhat under-delivers for us, doesn't it? Uh, sometimes this happens for us with birthdays. As you get older, you begin to celebrate birthdays on the decade. And when you have a decade birthday, you, you feel this pressure that you've got to do something really cool to celebrate that decade birthday. I just turned 40 this last year. That's a lot of pressure to turn 40. You've got you to celebrate that in some way. Um, and, you know, oftentimes these holidays for us, they, they kind of overpromise and, and under-deliver. Um, and you know what? Easter may be one of those holidays for you. Easter, because of its, its moving nature, you know, sometimes it's in March, sometimes it's in April. It happens in this period of the year that is extremely busy and, and disjointed for many of us as we're transitioning through a school year and the weather's changing and, and all this kind of stuff. And sometimes it's easy for us to kind of forget about Easter or maybe Easter for you is a holiday that kind of has under-delivered in the past. But I can tell you, for, for me personally, Easter is, is never a holiday that, that under-delivers. Uh, Easter is actually my favorite day of the year uh, because it's on this day that so many critical things in my life have, have taken place. It was on Easter Sunday in 1990 um, that I first trusted in Christ as my Savior. Um, and so Easter is, is very special. Every time we celebrate Easter, it's an opportunity for me to celebrate my spiritual birthday um, as I've come into a relationship with Christ. And that's, that's very, very significant for me. Maybe some of you have a similar testimony or story to share as well. Um, also, uh, in, our, in our family, we do something unique as we celebrate Easter in that we use these little plastic eggs. You have little plastic eggs at your house. That, it's not unique that we have them at our house, but one of the things we do with these little plastic eggs is uh, every Easter we would take these eggs and uh, we would take one that was empty and we would open it up and the empty egg is a reminder of the empty tomb and we would take a little slip of paper and, and Kimberly and I and anybody who celebrated Easter with us, we would encourage them to, on that little slip of paper to write something that you were trusting God for in the coming year, uh, something that you would desire to see him do. And uh, for several years as we celebrated Easter in this way, as we had our little eggs, the thing that we wrote on there was that we desired that God would give us a child. He'd give us a son or he'd give us a daughter. And uh, when my son was born in March seven years ago, it was just a reminder of God's providence and his blessing. And so Easter is a very special time for us. And, and here's the thing. As we gather here today, uh, if you walked in and Easter is a holiday that is maybe under-delivered for you in the past, um, there is perspective from God's word that can totally change that. There's an opportunity as we look into God's Word today for Easter to, to not just be another day on the calendar or not just another holiday that under-delivers, but when we fully understand what God has done for us in Christ, 
Easter can become the most significant day in our lives as we celebrate what God has done for us through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Christ. And we're going to look at that today by looking at the book of Mark in chapter 16. And so if you've got a Bible, I'd encourage you to take it and open to Mark chapter 16. Uh, in Mark 16, we're going to focus this morning on the first eight verses of Mark 16. And, and in these eight verses, I believe what we'll see is that God over-delivers through the events of Easter that make it possible for us to have a life that otherwise would be impossible. Let's take a look at Mark chapter 16, verses 1 to 8. Now, we're going to see four things today. The first thing we're going to see about how God over-delivers at Easter time is this. First thing we're going to see is that our desire to serve Him is outdone by His ability to bless us. Our desire to serve Him is outdone by His ability to bless us. We, we see this in Mark chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. Mark 16 is uh, the chapter of the Gospel of Mark that described the events that happened on the third day. We remember Jesus was crucified on Friday. Uh, the third day was Sunday, and that's the events that pick up in Mark 16. Beginning in verse 1, it says this. It says, When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. The events of Mark 16 describe the activity of a set of women. In the Gospel of Mark, these women are somewhat famous in that they're always around during the events of Good Friday and Easter. These women were, were said to have been in the crowd looking on as Jesus was crucified on the cross. Well, some of the followers of Christ had scattered. These women were there witnessing the events that had transpired. Uh, these women are, are told, told to us in Mark 15 that they had gone late in the day on Friday to see the tomb where Jesus was laid. They knew exactly where he had gone. Uh, they had followed him there. And so in Mark 16, we get the story of these women who have followed Jesus through the events of Friday, and we find where they were on Sunday morning. It says, when the Sabbath was passed, speaking on now to, to Sunday, it says, Mary Magdalene, Mary, mother of James, and Salome, they bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. Now, what was this all about, that they had bought spices that they might go and anoint him? Well, really, these, these women... Um, because of who Jesus was to them, they wanted to do something nice for him. They wanted to serve him in some way, even in his death. Mary Magdalene had demons cast out of her. These, these other women had been embraced by Jesus and made followers of his. They hung on every word of his teaching. They had loved the teaching of forgiveness and hope that he had offered to them and the path that he had pointed them uh, towards God. And because of the, the love that they had for him and the admiration that they had for him, they wanted to do something to serve him or to bless him at this time. And so they bought these spices and they headed out to the tomb. Now, the reason why they bought these spices and headed out to the tomb was because at that point in, in history, 
Jews did not embalm their dead. Dead would, would be laid to rest, and their bodies would quickly begin to rot and decay, and the smell was terrible. And so one of the things they would do is it was an act of love or kindness to someone who had died to go and anoint their body with spices um, and, and, you know, a potpourri, if you will, so that, that the tomb would not have the stench about it. It would take the edge off. They got up on this Easter Sunday morning with a desire to go and to serve Jesus. It was a good desire. It's a desire really that is echoed in the lives of several in the Easter story account. Uh, We see over in chapter 15 that there was a man by the name of Simon of Cyrene that actually served Jesus by helping to carry uh, the crossbar of his cross up the hill to Golgotha. Uh, He served Jesus in that way. Joseph of Arimathea asked for permission to take Jesus' body down off of the cross and to place him in, the, in, a, in a tomb late in the day on Friday. Again, that was an act of, of love and respect towards Jesus that Joseph offered. It was common in that day for someone who was crucified, they would just leave their bodies on the hillside to, to rot and decay in public as an added act of shame. Let the animals eat their flesh. Um, but Joseph didn't want that to happen to Jesus, and so he took the body of Christ down and he laid him in the tomb. The stories of Good Friday and Easter are stories of people who wanted to do things to serve Jesus based on who he was. And you know what? This is not a surprise to us because we have similar thoughts and desires in our own lives. Because of who Jesus is and what he has done for us, uh, we want to do things to serve him as well. Because we have Uh, received his word because maybe we have received the forgiveness that is offered in Christ because we we sing these songs to him. We come and we want our lives to to offer back to him some kind of an act of service. Sometimes for us, our our love for Christ compels us to attend worship services. Sometimes it compels us to want to give financially from how God has blessed us. Sometimes it it motivates us to want to to live a good life and to do good deeds and to, to love others well. Sometimes it it even motivates us to to make claims in our life when when we were in the the depths of some kind of a struggle. We we make these statements, God, if you would only do this for me, then I'll go and serve you as a missionary in Africa or whatever we would say at that point. There's a part of our lives where because of what God has done for us, we want to do something to serve him back. Think about how you got ready on on Easter to come to church today. I've seen more ties this morning than we normally have around Wildwood. I'm wearing a coat for crying out loud. Um, There's a part of us that that wants to offer back some act of service, however small, based on who Jesus is. And really, that's that's a godly desire that is within us. But we should make no mistake when we look at the story of Easter, that Easter is not about what we can do to serve him. But ultimately, the story of Easter is about a God who over-delivers by doing for us and blessing us with something that we could not earn on our own. See, Easter is not about what we can do for God. It's about what he has done for us in Christ. They went out to offer some spices, but God was on a mission to rescue them from their sins. And he's on that mission for you and I today as well. We, we gather here today to celebrate Easter because we have a God who desires to bless us. 
See, our desire to serve him is outdone by his ability to bless us. Second thing that we'll see from these verses. Our natural expectations do not limit our supernatural God. Our natural expectations do not limit our supernatural God. We see this in verses 3 to 6. It says, "And, And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back, and it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Now, what is fascinating to me about this account of these women going to the tomb on that first Easter Sunday morning. What's fascinating to me is that their level of expectation of what they would find there. What did the women expect to find at the tomb? They expected to find a dead man. Why do we know that? We know that because they showed up with with spices to anoint his body. We know that because they showed up and their, their chief concern was who might move the stone away so that we could go in and take these spices and anoint his body. Their full expectation was that they would find a dead man in the tomb that day. Now, here's what is is really fascinating about that for us. Think about what the rest of the Gospels paint as the picture of what these women would have encountered on that day. First of all, Jesus had predicted his own death and resurrection for years leading up to this point. He had talked about it over and over again, and yet still their expectation was that that he was still dead in the tomb. As they're walking towards the tomb, uh, the Gospel of Matthew lets us know that there was an earthquake that caused the stone to roll away. And even though there was an earthquake, the thoughts never connected in their mind that that possibly that earthquake moved the stone and and Jesus would be empty. When they show up at the tomb and the stone is, is moved, And they walk inside and they see an angel sitting there talking to them, saying that Jesus is risen. They still can't get their mind wrapped around this notion. We we find out from the rest of the Gospels, they they didn't know what to think of this. They went and told the disciples, hey, we don't know where they've taken Jesus, where they've taken him. The angel just told you he's risen. But they couldn't grasp it. Even though they had seen three years of miracles that Jesus had performed, they still did not have the expectation of resurrection. Why is that? Why is it that they didn't have an expectation of resurrection despite all of those things? Well, the reason why is because they, like us, had an expectation that only natural things would occur. You know, life had taught them that death led to a grave, which led to a rotting body that needed anointing with spice. And it was such a jump for them to get past that and think that something supernatural could actually be occurring, that Jesus could indeed be resurrecting from the grave, that they couldn't quite get there. See, we have a God who over-delivers for us on Easter and that he is able to do more than just our natural set of expectations. He's able to do something supernatural. And this is so critical for us when it comes to our personal salvation 
Because when it comes to our personal salvation, there is an expectation that we have that is natural. Our expectation about how a human is made right with God, that natural expectation we have is that we are made right with God based on living a good life. Our natural expectation is that if we do more good than bad, if we do the right good things, if we you know, uh, have, have the, the right formula for living, that at the point of our death that we have a hope that God might accept us based on our good works. That's a natural expectation. Every world religion is designed to help people figure out how to live a good enough life that God might accept them. And yet, what we celebrate on Easter and what we have in Christianity is something so different than that. It's not our natural expectation. It's not our natural lives. It's not our natural production of good works that gives us the hope of having our sins forgiven, that gives us the hope of living in relationship with God in eternity. The hope that we have for eternity is found not in our nature, but it is found in a supernatural God who was able to, through the work of Jesus on the cross, able to fully judge the wrath that he had for sin and make it possible for you and I to be forgiven and to live a life in relationship with him. You know, I mentioned earlier that it was in Easter of 1990 that I came into a relationship with Christ. See, for for the first 17 years of my life, I had celebrated Easter. I'd gone to church. But even as I'd gone to church on Easter, even as I'd gone to church with my family, my general understanding of the world was that God wanted me to be a good person. And that was natural. But it was in 1990 on Easter Sunday that I realized that my hope was not found in my nature. It was found in God's supernatural ability to roll away the stone for us and allow Christ's death to pay for our sins and allow his life to be credited to us as righteousness that we might have a relationship with God that would endure into eternity. And it was on Easter of 1990 that I embraced that work of God by faith and entered into a relationship with him. And I I believe that in this room today, that there are, are some who, like me, have spent years and years going to church at Easter, thinking that it was about what I could do for God, and with a natural expectation that my good works would earn me eternity. But the reality is that our hope for eternity is found in the God who blesses us, It's found in a supernatural provision of God in Christ that he is asking us to embrace by faith. See, we can celebrate Easter and realize that it is a wonderful thing because in Easter it is a time when God over-delivers blessing to us. See, the first thing, our desire to serve him is outdone by his ability to bless us. Second thing, our natural expectations do not limit our supernatural God. Third thing, our failures are replaced with his forgiveness. Our failures are replaced with his forgiveness. Look at where we see this in verse 7. The angel, after telling them that Jesus was resurrected from the grave, the angel says, Go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. The angel says, Go tell his disciples and Peter. What a, what a beautiful, beautiful picture that Peter's name is mentioned. Now, I think that this is so interesting 
Um, because none of the other gospel writers mention that inclusion of tell his disciples and Peter. They all mention go tell his disciples, but it is Mark only that mentions go, help, go tell his disciples and Peter. Uh, you ever wondered why that is? Well, tradition would tell us that the gospel of Mark was written with Mark in close consultation with Peter. And you know what? While it may seem interesting to us, I don't think it would have been abnormal to those that knew Peter. Because my guess is that every time Peter told this story, he always said, and then the angel said, go tell his disciples and Peter. Why would Peter have said that? Well, because Peter was very acquainted with his failure at this point in his life. If you remember back to the events of Good Friday, Peter had denied Christ three times leading up to his crucifixion. Uh, Peter was wallowing in his failure at the point um, of Jesus' death, and he was still there at the time of his resurrection. And so when the angel shows up in the tomb and says, go tell his disciples and Peter, the reason why that would have been so significant to Peter was that Peter had probably written himself off by the time the events of Sunday morning came around. Peter was so acquainted with his own failure, he'd probably written himself off. Peter, actually, there's some indication in the Gospels that Peter spent some time in those last days of, of, of Easter Sunday um, trying to make up for his failure. There's some indication of that. Because Peter is like the Forrest Gump of the Easter story. If he's going anywhere, he's running. Um, when you look at the, the events of, of Easter, when, when the women come back to the disciples, they say, Jesus is missing. What, what does Peter do? He goes and runs to the tomb. He's the first one there. Um, when Jesus appears on the shore and they're going to have some breakfast, what, is, what does Peter do? He runs to Jesus' presence. What does that tell us about Peter? That he's really fast? Well, maybe. Maybe he was extremely fast. But I think what it, what it ultimately tells us is that Peter was motivated to be first, and I think it's because Peter was doing everything in his power to make up for his failure. That's what we do, isn't it? Everybody in this room is very acquainted with your failures. Everybody in this room is very acquainted with your sin. We know the areas where we've blown it. And, and, and the, the reality is, because we're so acquainted with our sin, um, there's a couple of reactions that we typically have. One reaction is um, that we feel like God could never love us because of our sinfulness, that God might love the other disciples, but he certainly doesn't have a place for me because I've blown it in such a significant way. That's one possible reaction we have. Second possible reaction we have is that we think, you know what, if I could just get to the tomb fast enough first, show Jesus how much I care for him by how I live now, that I could somehow make up for my past failure by my current activity. Those are the normal responses of our life with respect to our failure. But here's what's so critical about what the angel said to the women that day. You see, the angel said to the women that day, go tell the disciples and Peter. When did, when did the angel say that? Before Peter had ever run to the tomb, before Peter had ever told Jesus how much he loved him again. The angel says this first, and it's such a picture of God's grace towards us that 
God is able to take our failures and to cover them in his forgiveness. God over-delivers for us on Easter by doing that, and we, we can rejoice in that and celebrate that because we are people who are in need of forgiveness. Um, you are a wonderful-looking congregation this morning. You really are. Um, but we are a congregation of failures. And I'm at the top of that list. We fall short of the glory of God, and yet God reaches out to us and offers forgiveness, not because we run faster than anyone else, but because he is committed to us, and he offers us forgiveness in Christ. If you walked in today weighed down by a sense of guilt and shame, what I want you to do is I want you to look back over verse 7 again. It says there, go tell his disciples and Peter. Here's what I want you to do. When it says his disciples, I want you to think of the name of somebody that you consider pretty godly. And when you see Peter, I want you to place your name there. And I want you to read that again because this is what God is calling to you today. For me, it says, but go tell Bruce and Mark that he's going before you to Galilee. We have a God who calls us by name. We have a God who desires to forgive us even in the face of our failure, to do supernaturally what we naturally could not do, to bless us even more than we have opportunity to serve him. Fourth thing that we see in this passage, our fears are replaced with his presence. Our fears are replaced with his presence. We see this in verses 7 and 8. The angel again says, Go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. That was kind of the rendezvous point. Jesus had said, I'm going to resurrect. We're going to meet up in Galilee. It says, There you will see him, just as he told you. And the women went out, and they fled from the tomb, for trem- trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. They had great fear about the events that had just transpired. I, I mentioned earlier that it took some serious convincing for them. Even after the earthquake, even after the stone was moved, even after the angelic declaration, even after the promises that Jesus had given of resurrection, even after the three years of miracles, they they still couldn't grasp that Jesus was actually resurrected from the grave. So what what changed? What changed? How did this group of followers of Christ go from people who were trembling and afraid and and unwilling to tell people what they had seen to a group of people that would turn the world upside down and take the message all the way to Norman, Oklahoma and let us know that Jesus is resurrected from the grave. What changed? What replaced their fear? Well, the thing that changed that replaced their fear was the presence of Jesus. You know, Jesus didn't just vacate the tomb, and then they had to piece together the story. Jesus didn't just have the angels make a declaration that Jesus is resurrected, and then they had to figure the rest out on their own. You know what Jesus kept doing? He kept showing up. Mary Magdalene leaves the tomb, and she's weeping, and she runs into a gardener who's really Jesus in disguise. And Jesus says, Mary, and she looks up, and she sees him, and she she falls down, and, and she's forever changed. 
because Jesus was resurrected. His presence replaced her fear. Two disciples are walking down the road to Emmaus, and a traveler walks alongside them, and they're having a conversation, and next thing they know, they realize that this traveler is not just a traveler, this traveler is Jesus himself. He showed up, and his presence replaced their fear. It convinced them of the reality of his resurrection. The disciples are gathered in an upper room behind a locked door, and Jesus comes walking through the wall, and he comes with some fish for dinner. And his presence replaced their fear. The the disciples are fishing out on the sea because that's what they did, and suddenly Jesus shows up on the shore, and he cooks some breakfast, and they come and they join him. He kept showing up over and over and over again, and his presence convinced them of the reality of his resurrection. His presence replaced their fear. You know, if, if Jesus hadn't have done that, if he had just, the tomb had been vacated and the angels would have made an announcement, then I really think that the disciples might have spent their lives wondering if they just had eaten some bad Thai food the, the night before, and, and, or had wondering if, who had stolen the body or, or whatever it might have been. But Jesus didn't leave it to chance. His presence over a number of weeks convinced them of the reality of his resurrection so that his presence could replace their fear. You know, uh, there's, there's a common narrative that, that people who are critical of the Bible want to share, and that, that common narrative is this. It's this general idea that the resurrection of Jesus is just a hoax. It's a fabrication. It's something that the disciples made up for their own benefit. It's a plan that they hatched in order to continue their career as itinerant ministers. But you know what? That's not the picture that the New Testament places. The picture of the New Testament is that the disciples were very slow to embrace the fact of the resurrection. It was not until they saw Jesus several times over a number of weeks that they began to realize that what he had said was actually true. And the, the reality of his presence convinced them so much that they would go to the ends of the earth and even die for their belief that Jesus was resurrected from the grave. And you know what? Because Jesus showed up and because Jesus revealed himself, it lets us know that there is such a thing as a resurrection. It lets us know that Jesus was indeed who he said he was, that he wasn't just uh, some human that lived a good life and taught some good things, but that he in fact was who he said he was, the Son of God, and that his death had the opportunity to pay for the sins of you and of me. And when we come to realize the reality of the resurrection, we begin to realize that on Easter, we celebrate a God who over-delivers, a God who sees our desire to serve him, but he outdoes that with his ability to bless us, a God who does more than just what our natural expectations would, would deliver and does something supernatural for us in Christ. We see that our failures can be replaced by his forgiveness, and we see that our fears can be replaced with his presence. Because that is who Jesus is, we have the opportunity to worship him today. I'm going to ask you just to take a moment where you are and just bow your heads. Close your eyes. And I want you just to take a minute, and I want you to pray to our Heavenly Father. For some of you, this will be your your hundredth prayer today. 
Uh, for others of you, this will be your first prayer maybe in a, in a hundred years or a hundred days. But uh, today, uh, I want us all to have the chance to pray and to communicate with our God, a supernatural God who is offering for us in Christ something that naturally we could not do. He's offering us forgiveness, and he's offering us life. And if you today uh, have never placed your faith in Christ, may you hear the words of, of God as the angel spoke them to the women, that God is calling your name regardless and in spite of your failure and inviting you to come and receive his gift of mercy in Christ. And I want you just to take a moment and just communicate with God and thank Him for the gift He has given us in Christ. Father God, we are so thankful today for how You have blessed us. We are so thankful that You have over-delivered um, for us at Easter. More than what we could ever hope for, you have given us life. And Father, I thank you that that is not just an abstract concept, but it's a reality for so many in this room who have embraced you by faith at some point in the past. And Father, for, for many today that might even be beginning or renewing their relationship with you, uh, we thank you for your grace and for your mercy. And we pray that you would help us to live our lives with a sense of wonder at your grace towards us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, when we talk about how in Christ uh, God over-delivers for us through the events of the resurrection, uh, one of the things that gives me great hope is that the resurrection of Christ is really a symbol or a picture of a resurrection that all of us will be a part of if we know him, that there is a restoration of life, that, that God's desire for us is not just to put a paint job on our brokenness, but to totally change our reality. And we need that because we live in a world that is terribly broken. I mean, just this last week, there's been so many reminders for me of, of the broken world in which we live, so much sorrow and pain and difficulty and death. And God's plan for that is to rise us up just as Jesus was risen, to restore our souls, to give us a new body that is not corrupted by sin, to give us a world that is not tainted by sin, where a lion could lie down with a lamb. God is offering us a new reality in the resurrection. And so as we conclude our service today, I want you just to, to, to sit and reflect as the worship team sings for us about the future reality of resurrection that awaits us when we will rise. There's a peace I've come.